So it's interesting, right? On the Sunday that we, be, we kind of, our prayer time falls, we're making a, a, a transition, a shift, if you will. Uh, Paul is turning the corner in this book of, of Ephesians, and he's redirecting the church to the battle that's ahead. Um, so we've been in this thing for 40 weeks. We've gone through all kinds of things, we, and we're just coming out of this second little section, this little tiny piece in there, which we've taken five or six weeks, and we've explored rules for marriage and family. And then last week, we broached this incredibly challenging subject of slaves and masters and kind of how that plays out and what the theology of Christ has done to abolish this concept of, of oppression with people. And we explored all that, and Paul's come to this place where he says, all right, it's time to bring this thing to a close. And he's going to use the word finally in this, in this section here. And he's going to turn the church's attention to the battle ahead. Because he knows that as much as he can teach them and, and instruct them with good theology and all these kind of things, they are most literally at war. And he's readying the church to fight the battle ahead that is not going to be against a man-made enemy. It's not going to be against the Romans or the Greeks or the Babylonians or any of these, these armies or movements throughout history, but it's going to be spiritual. But there is a spiritual war being waged over the life of a believer, and the next six weeks we're going to be exploring what that looks like as he talks about the idea of readying ourselves for this spiritual battle. Now, it's important to think about it in terms of this. I'll put it this way. In the, in the mid-1600s, there was a Reformed Puritan by the name of Thomas Brooks. Um, Thomas Brooks wrote a book, actually wrote part of a book, called um, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, right? Which is like the perfect Puritan title, right? Like way too much. But, but the book is called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in that introduction to that book, he says that the believer should be searching all the time. They should be searching for things all the time. They should be searching for and searching Christ. They should be searching for and searching the Word of God. They should be searching for and searching the heart of themselves. And they should be searching for and looking out for Satan's devices. So he said the believer should be in pursuit of these things, right? I'm always searching for Christ. I'm always looking and being aware. I'm always searching within the Scriptures, right? I'm reading God's Word. I'm knowing it. I'm searching for truth and knowing it and studying it. I'm searching within my own heart. How do these things, Christ and His Word, play out in me? But I'm also, at the same time, fully searching and being aware of Satan's devices. And I think as the evangelical church, right, um, not just us in particular, but the, the context of the evangelical church. We've done a really great job for the most part with the first three, right? We, we talk about the person and the power of Jesus Christ. We talk about the authority and the need for the word, and we teach through it expositionally. Uh, we have this expository type of teaching. We want you to know God's word. We talk about how those two things interact in the life of a believer and what discipleship looks like and how we're called to follow Christ and know his word. But we don't do as good a job as exploring and talking about that fourth piece, which is the spiritual battle that is being waged by a very real enemy, knowing and being aware of the devices of Satan. And Paul knows that, and that Paul begins to make this shift at the end of the book, which he will spend the remainder of chapter 6 explaining to the church why they are going to war spiritually and why it is vitally important that the church not only names the enemy, but prepares itself uh, for battle. And that's what we're going to be this morning. We're going to begin the intro to what will be a little six-week look at how we fight against the schemes and the wiles and the devices of Satan. And we're going to name him, and we're going to name them, and we're going to look at what Paul 
calls us to do. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 10 through 12 this morning. And like I told you, after last week, I owe you a short one and I owe you a simple one because that was a, a doozy. And so uh, we, uh, we're going to do that this morning in a short, simple way. We're going to look at what Paul calls us to do in the wake of the spiritual battle, and then we're going to ready ourselves for the weeks to come. Because in the weeks to come, we're going to be exploring this armor of God that call, Paul calls us to wear and what that means and what we have to do as a believer to ready our hearts and our lives for that, that war. But let's take a moment, let's pray, and let's dive in there this morning. Um, Lord, we are grateful for your word, that it is real, and it is active, that it is true, and it is everything that we need. Lord, it is the very breath of God. It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains. Lord, it is all of these things. Lord, we pray this morning that what you would do is you would ready our heart that you would allow us to be men and women that desire a battle, desire to fight, desire to fight for our hearts, our lives, our churches, our children, for truth, for Christ. That there's a way, war being waged over our lives that we can no longer overlook and that we cannot pretend, uh, is, uh, we can pretend is not there. And so, Lord, help us ready our hearts and souls this morning by focusing not on Satan, the enemy, about being aware of his devices and focusing on the glory of Christ. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just ask the Lord to teach you. Lord, just teach me. Simple, sweet, teach my heart, Lord. Ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or behind you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray for your spouse or your kids or whoever that stranger is sitting next to you. It doesn't matter. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Take just a quick moment this morning. Think about someone other than yourself that is sitting here and ask that God would move in their hearts. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. May you be exalted and lifted up and glorified, and we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So the remainder of this book is going to be focused on this spiritual battle that is ahead for the church and for the believer. And so Paul is going to make this turn to close out the letter and, and with us as well. The end of our study of Ephesus, our church in Ephesus is in Sight. So let's take a look at uh, chapter 6, verse 10. And we're just going to go down through those three verses this morning. Now finally, right, so you see Paul makes that transition. I've done all this, and now I'm bringing this thing home, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. On one hand, this is a one-point sermon. It's just one point with some things that support it. And that one point is this. You and I are at war. Now, we don't like to talk about that, right? We don't like to talk about the idea of war or violence. But the truth is, if you look at Scripture, you and I are at war. Paul uses that language intentionally. He talks about battles. He talks about armor. He's going to talk about swords and shields and breastplates. We are at war. And that war is against an enemy that is very real and, that very, and very active. And what we know is this, 
that from Scripture and through Scripture, Satan, the enemy, the devil, is actually and incredibly real. Now, we don't like to talk about it in our kind of evangelical culture. We like to promote and push the grace of Jesus Christ and sort of the harmony with God, our best friend, and all those things are true as well. But when we do that and we fail to acknowledge the reality of the war being waged around us spiritually, we actually do ourselves not only a disservice, but we do something very dangerous. Paul knows that. Paul wants the church to say, yes, we are not going to focus and glorify the enemy. However, we are going to ready ourselves for the war that is being waged around you and around your children and around your lives. And it is spiritual and it is real. Scripture is incredibly clear. There is a devil, Satan, the evil one, the enemy. Any name you want to give it, it is the same, the same person. And that entity has been, and that entity will always be, a deceiver and a liar and a murderer. And he wants to destroy the lives of you and I as believers, period. Once we can say those things out loud, we can begin to decide how we're going to live in opposition to it. Now, there is an important concept here to understand that we are not focusing and glorifying the movement of the enemy, but we're recognizing the way that he works and moves so that we can combat that and go to battle spiritually with a God that has empowered us, right? Because he's given us this incredible thing in him, which we're going to talk about. He's given us this Holy Spirit to understand and identify that the nature of the devil is real and he is attacking and wants to dethrone your heart. So we are at war. We have to name that. So what does then Paul say about this war? And he's going to go into in deep detail over the next six weeks, but what does he tell us initially? He says, look, this war that you're fighting is going to take something more than you have. In other words, you cannot do it. You can't go to battle against the enemy, against Satan, against um, the devil. You cannot do it on your own. He is powerful and he is real. However, you can be strong in the Lord and you can stand in his mighty power. So this is what he's telling the believer. What seems like is overwhelming and overpowering is that the, the enemy is going to be pressing against you on all sides. In fact, the more you press into Christ, the more you decide that you're going to be a mature follower and you begin to walk out your faith, the more the enemy will come and pursue and come against you. The more that he will fight, he will push. And we'll look at his nature and how he does that in a moment. But that's the reality of war. The more you advance, the more the opposition wants you out. And we cannot fight that battle on our own. And so Paul says, so finally, be strong in the Lord, right? And in his mighty power. And so I started thinking about this. I was like, do I fully, this week, I was like, do I fully understand the power of God? Like I use that idea, God, you're all powerful and you're almighty and you're, you're, you're spectacular and all these things, but but what does that really mean? And I went back to one of my favorite psalms, and I want you to listen to it for a moment because I want you to understand the kind of power that we're talking about when we talk about who God is. Psalm 46 puts it this way. Just listen. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this, and I want you to think about, does this even begin to scratch the surface of what I think about when I think about the power of God? God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth will fall away. The mountains will tumble into the heart of the sea. And though its waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her break the day. Nations are in uproar against each other. Kingdoms fall. And he lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes the war cease at the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns all the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. I am the Lord Almighty, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. I started thinking about my picture of God's power, which is like, oh, God can do all things. Like, I'm sure he can. Like, you know, uh, you know he, can, he can fix this in me. He can do this thing. And, and those are all true. But my understanding of God's power is so tiny. I mean, listen to the, the, the voice of that psalmist, like fortress and rock that the mountains tumble into the sea and that God speaks and the foundations of the earth melt. That he breaks the bow and the shield and the sword and that the nations tumble at his name. And that we are called to be still and in awe of his incredible power. And you think that God can't save your marriage. You think that God can't make your financial ends meet. You think that God can't help you overcome this deep sin struggle in your heart that seems to keep rearing its head. This is the God who speaks with a thunder and nations fall apart. This is the God that has defeated the enemy and will empower you to defeat the enemy in your life. And Paul says this, finally, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power stand. I've done a lot of things in my life trying to stand on my own power, and um, it's impossible, especially against the nature of the enemy. The enemy is real, and he is powerful, and he speaks into the very crevices of our life that are the weakest, and he pokes the finger of his finger into the tender parts of your soul, the parts that you know hurt and hurt the most, and he whispers lies, and he speaks deception. And Paul knows that this is coming for the church, that as they grow and as he releases them and as they step into the world as the functioning picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the enemy is going to come with everything he has. And he says, I want you to be ready, and I want you to know that you have to stand in the strength of the Lord. If you don't believe that God can and will defeat those things in your life, then you've already lost that battle mentally, spiritually. The first thing that we have to do as believers when we stand upon the strength of the Lord is understand who God is and how much power he has and that he can shake the foundations of the earth. All we must do is be still. This is the gift that he's given the believer, right? The believer has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God dwelling in your soul. You cannot be overcome and overrun. So Paul says this, be strong in the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that, when you, so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So we're going to talk about the full armor of God in the coming weeks. He's going to go, we're going to go through every piece, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, uh, your feet fitted with the, the readiness that comes from the gospel of truth, like all of these things we're going to talk about. So we'll get to that in a moment. But he says, put on that full armor of God so that you can withstand the schemes of the evil one. So I started thinking through this. I was like, if we're going to withstand the schemes of the devil, the evil one, like what is his nature? What are the schemes of the enemy? Like what's he trying to do? 
Because as believers, there's only so much the devil can do. The Bible's very clear that you cannot have your salvation taken or stolen, that once you have surrendered your life fully to Jesus Christ, you are fully saved in him, period. So then what is the enemy's greatest tool? What is it that he's trying to accomplish? Well, his nature is really built around, around two things. The first one is that he is a liar and a deceiver, right? We know that very well. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to some Jews in, in uh, the book of, uh, of John chapter 8, he's actually talking to this group of Jews that had once believed in him, but had sort of turned away and were no longer walking in a path that followed him, right? And this is what Jesus said to them, really harsh words. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. The nature of the enemy is to lie and to deceive. And the reason he's called the father of lies, as you may recall, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember the encounter with Eve in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent, right, who is the enemy, the devil, the crafty one, says he's a serpent who was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, not eat from the, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says, surely you will not die. For God knows that if you eat that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you will know good and evil. See, the nature of the enemy is to lie and deceive. He's a father of lies. The first words he spoke were deceptive. And they were deceptive in that subtle way that only the enemy does, which is, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that tree? And, and, and Eve says, yes, well, he said we could eat of any of the trees. But that one tree, God said, no, because if we do, we'll die. And what does a serpent do? The serpent doesn't call out God and call God a liar. The serpent makes a suggestion. Surely he didn't say you will die. What God was implying is that he didn't want you to be like him. He's trying to hold you back. If you eat of it, you'll be able to know good from evil. So what happens? They eat the apple and they bring sin and death upon all of humanity. And what did the enemy do? They mean waged some massive war in which he brought an onslaught against Eve and tricked her? No, he just spoke into her inclinations. He just whispered deceit. Surely God didn't say. And those tactics of the enemy are what unfold in our daily lives all the time. He is the father of lies. He is, led to, he is leading us into deception. He is a liar and a deceiver. He whispers into the places of our soul that he knows that we are weak. In that same book right, that I just mentioned by Thomas Brooks, that same exact book, The uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, he says this. He says, Satan loves to sail with the wind. And he crafts his temptations into the natural inclinations and desires of men. You know what that means? It means that Satan's not swimming upriver against your life and he's easy to see and discern and be like, I know that's wrong. Satan's coming at me. He's attacking me. I'm going to fight that off. Satan loves to sail with the wind. Meaning he already plays on what your fears are. He knows which direction you're going. And he's like, surely God didn't say. I mean, that doesn't sound like God, right? I mean, surely it's okay if you do this thing. 
or he'll whisper into your already broken self-esteem. You're not worth much. Look, you failed again. You know how disappointed your wife is in you all the time? You can't do this. You know you can't. You don't deserve this. Those are the deceptive lies of the enemy who sails with the wind of our hearts. And he does that in our culture too, right? We saw that all through the book of Ephesus. The enemy comes along and speaks through culture to say, surely God didn't establish any of these things, right? Like, and he redefines things like marriage and purity. He whispers things like, surely pornography is fine. It's not that destructive. Surely gender is a construct and there's no penalty for any of these things or dangers to any of them. Just go be happy as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. It's fine. Surely God did not establish any of these things. That doesn't sound like God, right? I mean, why would God not want you to be happy? He'll even take that turn, like I just mentioned. Yeah, you know, Treb, you're a terrible preacher. You really are. Nobody comes to this church very often, more than a while, and they leave. Why are you doing this? You're not really made for this. You should probably do something else. He whispers to other of us, you know you're a disappointment to your husband. He wanted someone that would support him, and, and you just discourage him. Every time you open your little banking app, you're like, yeah, we're never going to get ahead. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to get ahead. Be afraid. How is it going to work this month? How is it going to be? How is this going to happen? And the enemy sails with the wind in our heart, and he speaks those lies and deception to tell us that God can't or God won't or God didn't or God made a mistake or God is absent or God is silent or whatever it is that our natural inclinations already want to believe. Because his nature is to lie and deceive. And he wants you, Paul wants the church and you to be aware that this is the voice. Because Satan can't take your salvation. He has no real power over your life, but he can render you ineffectual. He can render you broken. And he can steal who you are. Which is the second part of his nature and character. The first part is he's a liar and a deceiver. The second part is that he, come, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus himself says it. He says it in John 10.10. 10. The thief, right, the enemy, comes to steal and to kill and destroy. That is who he is. He juxtaposes that by saying, however, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Talking about abundant, true, full life here on earth and the promise of eternal life in heaven. But he states the nature of the enemy. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. Satan will do everything in his power to steal your joy, to steal your movement, to steal any kind of hope that you have, to destroy any resemblance of a life that wants to pursue or follow Christ. He wants to kill anything that has life in you. He wants to do that. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. Why? Because marriage is the tool by which God will demonstrate the gospel to the world. We explored that for the past five weeks. Why would Satan not want to destroy that? If it's the primary tool by which the gospel is reflected because it's a picture of Christ loving the church, why would Satan not want to destroy your marriage? Why would he want not to render it ineffectual? Why would he not want to whisper to you that it's not worth fighting for? Just be friends or ride it out or go be happy. Find someone else. It's a short life. Why would Satan not whisper those things? Why would he not tell you over and over again that you're a terrible parent? 
Why would he not speak in the lives of your children saying, you were an accident. You know you shouldn't be here. Nobody likes you. This is the lying and deception that Satan speaks into the lives and hearts of people. And if we don't recognize it as his voice, we quickly begin to believe it because it's sailing with the wind and the inclinations of our own heart. But for the believer, if we recognize the voice and devices of the enemy, it's why Thomas Brooks says that we should search it like we search the word of God. Because I have to be able to identify that that is a lie from the pit of hell and I will stick it back where it belongs. I am not worthless. I am valued. I am loved and adored and beloved by the king who made me and created my heart. Though I have made mistakes, God found me worth dying for to rescue and redeem me. That though I make mistakes as a parent, he has given me this incredible role to love my children or to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I'm not a failure in that regard because Christ has given me power. Not because I can do it on my own, but because he redeems all of my failures for his glory. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And Satan, I will not entertain it. I will not look in the mirror one more time and destroy what I know God made. I will not look in the mirror and tell myself how ugly I am or how fat I am or what I don't look like or what I should look like. I will not destroy with my mind what God has made. That is the enemy whispering, saying, you are not valuable. It's a lie. Paul knows this full well. And so he tells the church, you have to understand Satan's devices. And we need to, as a church, we need to pay more attention to the fact that the enemy will do everything he can to distract us from what is rightly ahead. And then at the right time, he will whisper the lie that will break the dam. See, for 15 years, you've never been happy. Maybe you shouldn't have got married in the first place. You failed as a parent, might as well just let them go. Quit trying. Whatever it is, right? They're all there. We've all got them. So we've got this call to be strong in the Lord. We have this call to understand the nature of the enemy. And then finally, and I'll wrap everything up with this, we have to remember this incredibly important thing that comes in verse 12. And that is this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Listen to Paul's words, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's like 15 sermons in there, but here's the idea. As Christians and sort of a Western American evangelical culture, we have created an earthly answer for every problem. Our natural desire is to solve that problem from an earthly standpoint. Here's what I mean. Here's problem A. We have a solution is problem B, uh, for problem A. Take this pill. Read this book, right? Go to, go to Mardell's and just look. There's a book about five steps for losing weight in Jesus. Three steps for putting your life back together. Rescue your marriage by doing X, Y, and Z. All of these things, while good exercises, typically point us to worldly solutions for problems. You can do it. We can fix it. It can be done, right? And we attack problems that are spiritual in nature with worldly flesh and blood answers. The, the reality of saving your marriage is not just recreating a date night or following a book that says, get five new things to do on your date night every week. The reality of saving your marriage means that you have to fight to fall in love with Jesus. It's spiritual first. Always. 
the struggles that we have, if we recognize that they are not actually against flesh and blood, but they are against the spiritual forces of evil that are war at you, at war within you and around you, it changes the game. Here's the truth. If you want to keep talking about marriage, the enemy is waging war against the soul and heart of your husband. The enemy is at war against the heart of your wife. We try and solve the problems by saying, fix that behavior in you and I will love you and appreciate you. The truth of the matter is, there is a spiritual battle that is being waged over our ward, over our marriages, and we won't pray together. Instead, we'll try and recreate a date night. Pause. Grab your spouse's hands, even if you've never done it. Sit on your bed, fall on your knees, and pray for their heart. Pray that God would strengthen them. Let them pray for you. Pray that he would teach you how to be married in a way that adores your wife, the way that Christ adores the church, and ask him to create a boundary in your marriage that is built upon the love and grace of Christ. As one tiny example, right? Because the battle, while those symptoms are important and you need to go out and take your date, wife on a date, the actual battle is being waged at the level of the heart and soul. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The struggle that your children are having is not because the world is just hard. It's because Satan's doing everything he can to break and destroy their heart and lives before they can formulate an idea that God loves them. If he can destroy their heart or their will or even their self-esteem before they get to know him, do you know how hard it is when statistics say about how much more difficult it is to come to know Christ in your 30s than it is when you're 12? There's a reason the enemy is waging war in the lives of our young people because that is a time in their life where they are open, really open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Satan can destroy that part and then believes they have any value at all or that there is a God that could possibly be real, then the chances of all that unfolding later on go downhill and unbelievable exponentially. There's a war being waged over your children and we're yelling at them to pick up their room, which is important. But we're not doing battle for them where it matters fighting for their souls, talking to them about that, making them aware of it and praying deeply and strongly for them and over them. And the same thing with all these things in our life. Yes, there are outward answers. These exercises are important. Three steps to becoming this. Definitely do these things. There are answers. But we can't forget that the real war is not about what's unfolding in the world. It's spiritual. And that's what Paul's getting at. And he's going to tell us over the next six weeks how we fight that. And he's going to give us some real examples. And we're going to break it down piece by piece. And we're going to talk about each of these pieces that we go to war with. But for this morning, we need to understand that there's a war. And we need to understand that it's spiritual in nature. And that if you're struggling in some of these areas, it may not just be because you need to get out and do something. It may be because there's a war being waged on your heart. And it's time to go to battle in the right places. The Christian Life is hard. It's hard because we're dealing with the sinful inclinations of our own heart. We're dealing with sinful and broken people that are, that are out there, that are not having our best interests, that are hurting us with their words. We're dealing with an imperfect church, with imperfect people, with all kinds of imperfect things. And on top of that, 
We have an enemy that knows our deepest weaknesses. He knows your fears and failures. He knows who you, like, who you want to be and who you think you're not. And he sails with the wind. It's hard. And that's why Paul spends the rest of this letter saying, church, be ready. Not only do you have to fight this battle, but you have someone that fights it for you and he is victorious. Cling to him. He has given you everything you need already in Christ. Right? Do not be afraid, but it's time to go to war. Let's pray together. Lord, what a privilege it is just to open your word for a few moments this morning and, and uh, look at a reality um, that is very true. That there is a spiritual war being waged around us. And I, I used a lot of examples of families, but really, Lord, it's, it's, it's all of us. In any situation and circumstance, the enemy will do whatever he can do to dethrone us. He is the deceiver and the father of lies. He will tell us that we deserve better, deserve more, that we're worthless, that we're worth that. Whatever it is, he whispers into those recesses of our soul where we already are fearful and inclined. I already feel like a bad husband. I already feel like a bad parent. I already feel like a bad this, or I'm already struggling, or I feel like a terrible provider. And the, the enemy comes along with those, you know what, you, you are. You know, you, you don't deserve this. And he continues to whisper lies. Or he whispers the things that we desire. The grass is greener on the other side. You should try it. I mean, what's it, what's it going to hurt, right? I mean, you deserve this. You've worked hard. You should just take it. He is the deceiver. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. But we have the strength that we come from knowing the Lord. You promise us that it, we have your strength and in your mighty power, and you are mighty. Lord, at your voice, at your voice, the earth melts that you can take the mountains and tumble them into the sea, that you can stop wars, you can break the bow and burn the shields, and you invite your creation to be still in awe of your wonder. Lord, the enemy is, is no match for you. You are fully victorious. You have overcome and defeated the enemy through death already on the cross. We only need to cling to what is ours in Christ. We will not believe the lies of the enemy today. Not today. Declare that in your heart. He will not get that today. He does not get to win today. Today, I stand upon the truth that I know in Christ, and I will fight. I will fight to reconcile my marriage, my relationship with my children, my attitude about work, my disgruntled nature, my desire for material things. I'm going to shatter all those things and just say, Jesus, you are enough for me, and I believe you can. And Lord, we trust you. And as we close our time in worship this morning, we ask you to reinstill those principles in our heart, that there is a war and that we are in it, that we are called to be strong in the Lord, to understand the nature of the enemy, and to realize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So don't fight on the wrong battleground. Those things are important, but they're not where things are won. Go to battle and fight spiritually for things that are spiritual in nature. Let's stand together and close our time in worship. Thou
morning. So the power is, is taking these truths and walking out of this room and letting them impact and affect your life, that we not only hear these things, but we let the Lord so sow them in our heart that it becomes a part of who we are. We are at war, believe it or not, and that war is spiritual in nature, right? And we are called to be strong in the Lord, to know the nature of the enemy and fight the battle on the right lines. Go in peace. <laughs>